Hey, Community of Faith, I hope you're doing well today. Uh, I heard a psychologist say a couple of years ago, make this statement, said the most fragile mechanism in all of the universe is a man's ego. And that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I think as we think on that, uh, there's some truth to it. There's a realness to that. And uh, I think we can see proof of this as we continue in our series today in the book of Joshua, in this next series. I think we can see proof of that very statement. We can see proof of someone who is incredibly confident, but then quickly not as confident. And the truth is, is that um, man or woman, male or female, that statement is true for us. We know what it's like to go through rhythms of life where we feel really good. And when it comes to faith, sometimes even feeling really confident in our faith to quickly be turned in a direction where our confidence is shaken. And we're not really sure what to do. So as we jump into Joshua chapter 7, we're going to look back at Joshua and the Israelites as they continue their journey into the promised land and begin to understand a little bit more on how we can live a life that's got peace, live a life of purpose in uncertain days. So take your Bible, take your Bible app, find the sermon notes, whatever it is that you want to use this morning, and let's dive into the story. Uh, beginning in Joshua chapter 7, starting in verse 2, it says this, it says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. So again, we have a situation here where Jesus, he's a, he's a soldier. He's, a, he's a, a general of the army. He is leading this charge. He's leading these people into battle. So he sends spies out ahead to investigate the land, to find intelligence in the next city after they've defeated the city of Jericho. So he sends them to Ai, and they come back. In verse 3 it says, They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are just a few. Verse 4 says, So about 3,000 men from the people went up there. And I want to pause right there because here's what's happening. Joshua, the Israelites, they have this uh, sense about them where they are bold, they are confident, they are feeling strong, courageous, and so Joshua sends these two spies. It's interesting because if you reflect back to the life of Moses, when Moses sent spies into uh, unfamiliar territory, he sent 12 spies. So even the fact that Joshua is continuing to only send two spies, we see this confidence. We see this boldness. He believes in what they're doing, and he believes that God is with them. And so instead of sending the whole army, the, the spies come back and say, hey, there's not that many people there. Uh, we're, we're strong. God is with us. So just send two or 3,000 men. And then look what happens. It says, so about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So we find this unique turn of events. The people go to battle, they come back, they're fleeing, they've lost the lives of 36 of their men, and it says that their hearts were melted, which is a similar phrase to what we looked at last week. The people of Jericho, their hearts were melted with fear. Rahab tells the spies that. Well, in the very next battle, it's not the people that the people of Israel, Israel are going after that are being melted with fear. It's the Israelites themselves. Their confidence has been completely shaken. And we begin to catch a glimpse of the emotion that is being felt by Joshua and the Israelites as we read through the story. 
You know, there's all kinds of emotion that we feel when we experience defeat or we experience failure. We feel discouraged. We feel distressed. We feel like maybe we've not lived up to expectations. Insecurity begins to take over. We start to feel like an outcast or a reject, like we've let people down around us. There's moments of sadness. And the reality is that in our world today, people are carrying those emotions along for so long that they become conditions. They become difficult parts of our lives. And we begin to wrestle not just with an emotion, but we begin to wrestle with enemies like depression. We begin to wrestle with things that begin to impact our lives in a really devastating way. And so I think it's important that as we look at the life of Josh, we recognize this roller coaster that he finds himself on. It's the same roller coaster that we find ourselves on sometimes. It's the roller coaster of the peaks and the valleys, the losses versus the gains. We find ourselves in this journey where we become perfectors of the two-step, one step forward, two steps back, constantly finding ourselves in a place of defeat. We feel so confident, yet so not confident. And it's amazing how quickly that can change for us. And we see this with Joshua. And I think in this season of difficulty, this season where a crisis, a pandemic has elevated our senses, has elevated our emotions, I think there's something we need to take away from this today so that we don't have to live in a place of defeat. We don't have to live in a place where we feel like we're a failure. Joshua begins to wrestle with this. He begins to understand this. But what's interesting is we find out something that Joshua doesn't know about yet. And some of you type A's that are listening today, you're frustrated with me because I didn't start in verse 1. But if you go back to verse 1, it says this, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. You know, we're not just talking about a trouble that comes because we live in a broken world. The story is bigger than that. The story is talking about defeat. It's talking about failure. And the cause for the defeat and the cause for the failure is the sin of this one man, Achan. And there's two quick observations that we can take just from this first verse. Joshua wasn't aware of this yet, and we're going to find that out in just a second. But as we look at this first verse, we recognize something, that sin always leads to defeat against the enemies of this world. That's true for you. That's true for me. That's true for us. And we see this. God is, or the the passage is telling us that there was a ban. There was a covenant that had been made between God and the Israelites to not take anything from the city of Jericho. As they experienced victory, as they celebrated the win over Jericho, they weren't supposed to take any of the loot, none of the valuables. They weren't supposed to take anything for themselves. They were to give all of that to God first. It was symbolic. It was symbolic of their trust, of their faith in the God that was with them, the God that would not fail them, the God that would never leave them. It was an act of trust. But Achan, whose name actually means trouble, chose to disobey the covenant. And so he broke the covenant with God and he took some of the things. And we learn about this in this story. So there there was a sin. You know, we have enemies working against us. And I'm not just talking about a man or a woman or a group of people that are coming against us. There are enemies in this world that are working to defeat us. There's disease, there's death, there's dysfunction in the family dynamic, there's dysfunctional marriages, 
there's the job losses, there's the economy that's failing, there's discouragement and depression, all enemies that are working against us to push us back, to make us feel like failures, to feel like enemies. But we have faith that with God being on our side, being with us, those enemies have no power over us. But in the story, they experience defeat. Why is that? Because there's sin that's present. Achan deliberately chose to pursue something against God's will for his life. And when we deliberately choose to pursue something that is not in God's will for our lives, we're choosing to sin. We're choosing to take a deliberate step away from God's authority in our life and from his protection in our life. You say, if you want to find peace where you are right now, if you want to begin to discover purpose for where you're going and where we're going together, there's no way we can accommodate sin in our life. We begin to see this, we begin to uncover this. There's another interesting observation in this very first verse. One man's sin was the responsibility of an entire nation. An entire nation was, a, was held accountable because of this one man's sin. And that feels uncomfortable, that feels like it's not right, like it's not fair. I mean, he just took a few things. But it wasn't that he just took a few things. He chose to not trust his Heavenly Father. He chose to take matters into his own hands. He chose to try to provide for himself so that he could feel secure with what he was able to do rather than what God was able to do. And the consequence of that was that God removed his presence from the Israelites. There was a corporate responsibility, a corporate accountability. You see, the Israelites were to love one another. They were to care for one another. They were to live life together. They were to hold each other accountable, speaking with each other, and continuing to push each other to trust God. As Jesus' followers, we're called to live the same way, to love one another, to care for one another, to speak with one another, to hold each other accountable. It's called community. Why? Because oftentimes, the response or, or the actions of one person can impact the lives of many, if not all. You know, we experience some of this even in our world now. I mean, we can begin to kind of think about this. There are enemies working against us. Enemies of disease, enemies of dysfunction, of depression. And then you throw in some sin. You throw in some hatred. You throw in some bias. You throw in some pride, some prejudice. And then those things begin to work together to defeat us. And I think what we see in this passage is if we don't recognize that and we don't intentionally live together in community, then we will begin to devastate ourselves. We will begin to destroy ourselves. We will begin to break apart. We've been called to live in community with each other, to love one another, to care for each other, to have conversation with each other. You see, where there's no community, we always will find a place that's destructive. And oftentimes, community starts with conversation. And then when we begin to converse, we begin to understand each other. We begin to live in harmony with each other. We begin to rejoice when one rejoices. We begin to mourn when others mourn. We hurt when others hurt. We hold each other accountable. And when we see injustice, we speak against that injustice because we care for the community that we find ourselves in. There's so much truth. There's so much relevance in this passage. But what do we do? Because it's one thing just to recognize this, but what steps can we take today? What steps can we take to begin to push back defeat, to push back the failure that we're experiencing in our lives? The first simple step is simply this, to pray honest prayers. Look what Joshua does. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes 
and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say, since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? I mean, have you ever been in a moment like that? So overwhelmed with what's going on in life, so overwhelmed with the circumstances, with the defeat, with the failure that you're experiencing, where you begin to say, what in the world is going on? God, I had confidence in you just yesterday, but I don't feel very confident today. God, where are you? There's got to be more to life than this. What's going on? And sometimes I think when we think about prayer, we think that it's got to be this pretty, polished, well-communicated conversation or dialogue or more monologue with God. I think about the movie Meet the Parents and Greg is sitting at the table with the family. He's meeting the in-laws and he's asked to pray and he starts to pray and he says that we would do these three things, that we would love thee more dearly, see thee more clearly, follow thee more nearly day by day by day. And we think, man, that's how we have to pray. But this is not a prayer that's well thought out. This is just a prayer of emotion. It's a prayer crying out to God. And you see there's still, there's still a level of trust. Because Joshua doesn't dive into this prayer and say, God, you have failed me. You are terrible. I am, I am going a different direction. There's this confidence, but it's a shaken confidence. And his concern is, is that maybe he got it wrong. Maybe he misunderstood the will of God. Was he not supposed to cross the Jordan? Were they supposed to stay on the other side? And then he's fearful. Are people going to misunderstand your great name, God? What's my reputation going to be? Have I failed the people? Have I failed the people of Israel? And he begins to make this honest plea, this conversation. We see this crisis of faith. You see, Joshua wasn't aware yet, even in this. He wasn't aware of really what was causing the defeat in his life and the life of the Israelites. We know it because we read verse 1. But Joshua's not aware yet, and so he cries out to God. He's tearing his clothes. Maybe today you're feeling defeated. You're feeling this sense of failure. And I don't know what the root of that is, but what would it look like just to have an honest conversation with God? Just to tell him what you're feeling. To tell him what you're sensing, what you're experiencing. Sometimes I think we think God can't handle our prayers. That he's not strong enough, or that he's not, he's, it's, it's going to break him if, he, if we confess if we speak out everything that's going on in our lives. But Joshua does this. Maybe you just need to write it down. I did that this week. There was a moment where I was just kind of feeling overwhelmed. I was feeling some frustration, and I just started writing. And I was like, God, because I, I, I was having a hard time focusing on anything I was tasked with that day. And I started writing it all out. God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. I have doubts. I have frustration. How do people see me? How do people view me? There's something powerful in this. Joshua goes to this as his first step. He cries out to God and he has a conversation with God. Pray honest prayers. The second step is simply this, that we would hear God's word, that we would listen as we pray. You see, prayer isn't just a one 
sided conversation. Prayer is a conversation where we speak, but we also, also listen. And oftentimes in my life, I'm so overwhelmed with all that's going on in my life that I just want to continue to speak. And I don't take the time to listen, but Joshua speaks and he shares his heart with God and then God responds in verse 10. So, so the Lord said to Joshua, rise up, exclamation mark. It's almost like, hey, Joshua, hang on, snap out of it, listen up. I got something big I need to tell you. He says, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have, they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. So he's, he's clearly telling Joshua what has happened. He says, Joshua, you need to do something. You need to get up. He said, you need to listen up. You need to hear what I'm saying because I'm telling you what the problem is. Israel has sinned. And he tells them specifically how they've sinned, how they've stolen, how they've not trusted him, how they've, they've lied and they've deceived by hiding the things. Verse 12 says, Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Just think about that. Think about the weight of that. This is the same God who said, I will never leave you. I will never fail you. You will have victory where you go. Trust me. Be strong and courageous. And then in this verse, he says, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. This is significant. He's saying you will continue to live a life of defeat unless you trust me and you get rid of anything that I told you not to do. Anything that is against my will, against my authority. It's not because he wants to be this evil dictator in their lives. He wants them to live in freedom. He has the promised land for them, but he's saying there's something that's holding you back. There's something that's keeping you from living the life of victory, and you're experiencing this. So he says again, rise up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families, and the family with which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near by man. It shall be that the one who has taken the things under the ban shall be burned with fire. This is intense. This is dark. This is an uncomfortable story. It says, He and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. You see, it's not enough for us just to pray to God and ask God to fulfill all of our needs and to give us everything that we think we want. Our prayers to God are supposed to be conversations where not only do we speak and speak up and express what's going on in our lives, but we take time to listen because as we listen, he begins to reveal things to us. He begins to lead us. He begins to direct us. He begins to call us to action. You know, oftentimes as a pastor, I have to um, engage in some really interesting conversations. It's always funny how different people respond that don't know me well, and they hear that I'm a pastor, and so they want to start having these interesting dialogues. Sometimes I'll step into a conversation with someone I've never met, and they find out that I'm a pastor, and there's just this moment where they just kind of hit me with this barrage of confessions. Like every deepest, darkest secret, every failure they've ever had, they, they feel like the need to confess it to me. It's like it's liberating or there's something there that, that I need to hear all this so that they can find, um, I guess, healing or freedom in their life. 
oftentimes people will say, hey, can you tell me what the end times look like? That's a conversation that I've been um, asked to participate in the last couple of weeks, the last few months. But one of the questions that I often get or one of the thoughts that people always want to speak into when they have a conversation with me, they want to say, they want to ask the question, how do I know what, the, what God's will is for my life? How do I understand what steps he's actually calling me to take? And it's interesting because oftentimes there's two things going on in the life of someone who asks that question. They either have a really big decision coming up and they don't want to get the decision wrong or something's broken. And they find themselves in a place of defeat and failure and they're looking for a way out and they want to know, how do I get out of this? You know, it's impossible to know God's will apart from God's ways and it's never going to, we're never going to be able to understand God's ways until we understand his word. So when you begin to dive into his word, you begin to understand more of his ways, and you begin to listen as a prayer discipline, and you begin to understand his will for your life and what he's calling you to and what he's calling you out of, and you begin to experience freedom, you begin to experience victory. When you've been walking in defeat and failure, maybe for years, and you begin to listen, not just speak, but you begin to listen to the voice of God as Joshua does in the story. There's power in this. There's power to push back the defeats. So as we pray honest prayers and we listen and hear God's word, the next step that we're called to take is to simply uncover and own it. Uncover and own the sin that maybe we've been covering up in our life. Look what, look what happens in the story. Joshua gets up early in the morning. Um, he begins to investigate just as God told him to. I mean, it, everything God said to do, Joshua does. It's a model for us to read our Bibles and do what it says, to hear God's word and trust it and believe it and act on it. Joshua does it exactly like God says. And then in verse 19, it says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. I mean, imagine the scene. Joshua, the Israelites, soldiers lined up, and he is going by each soldier, and he's saying, hey, I, I need to know. What have you done? Did you do it? Are you the one responsible for this? And they're all frustrated. They're mourning. They're grieving because they've just been defeated. And then he finally gets to Achan, and he's looking Achan in the eye, and he's pleading with him, pleading with him in compassion, but for concern, not just for Achan or for himself, but for the entire nation. And he's saying, Achan, tell me what's going on. I implore you. Verse 20, so Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I, maybe even circle these words, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Joshua's pleading with Achan. And he's saying, man, come clean. We got to uncover this. You got to own this. What did you do? And Achan confesses it. You know, it's interesting to me because Achan probably wasn't the first person in line. He's in this line of soldiers and they're trying to investigate. They're doing an interrogation of the people of Israel to find out who is responsible for this so that there can be accountability that's in the process. Achan had a, he had an opportunity he didn't have to wait until it was his turn. He could have stepped up in the beginning and said, you know what, it was me. And he gets to Achan, and he makes this confession. And it's interesting what he says. He says, I saw, 
I coveted, I took, I concealed. It's the perfect recipe for defeat in our lives because we all find ourselves in that scheme. It's the enemy scheming against us so that we'll see it and then begin to covet it, begin to stir our affections for it, and then as we covet it, we take it. And oftentimes when we take it, we conceal it, we hide it because of shame or guilt or even pleasure. And it's the recipe in our life that the enemy uses to destroy us, but not only us, but the lives of those around us. It's the impact of sin in our lives as we try to fight back the enemies in this world. There's a responsibility that we would uncover it, that we would call it out, that we would own it, and not wait. Look what happens next. As the story wraps up, so Joshua sent the messengers and they ran to the tent. He sends them out and he goes, hey, y'all go look. Go to Achan's tent and see what you can find. They find it. They bring it all out. They pour it out before the people. And then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Accor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Accor to this day, which is translated the Valley of Trouble. You know, it's interesting. Not only did they uncover the sin, not only did Achan confess it, did they acknowledge it and get down to what really happened, but they eliminated it. You see, that's the, first, that's the fourth step that we're called to take, to eliminate it, to pull it up by the root. When Brandy and I first got married, we lived in a house in a, in a little small town in North Texas, and it was in a subdivision that they didn't plant the grass for you. They didn't do all the landscaping for you when you bought the house. You, it was kind of all on you. And so it was just covered with weeds. And I remember I, I, it was my mission. We didn't have kids yet, and so it was my mission to make my yard look good. And at one point, um, I had gotten the grass growing. Most of the weeds were gone, but there were these couple of weeds that continued to come up in my yard. And I remember trying to pull them up, and I would break the root off, and I would think, well, maybe that'll kill it. They would continue to grow. And I remember going to Lowe's one time, and I said, hey, man, uh, asked one of the guys that was working there. I said, I've got this weed, and it will not go away. And he said, here, try this. Gave me some Roundup, sent me home started spraying Roundup on these weeds. They continued to come back. They would die, but then they would grow back. They would die, and then they would grow back. And finally, one day, I got out there with one of those little bitty shovels, and I started digging it out, because every time I'd try to pull it up by the root, the root would break. And I would dig, and I would have to keep digging, and keep digging, and keep digging, all the way down to the bottom of the root to continue, completely get the root out of the ground so the weed would never come back. And as I think about that story, and as I tell that story, I started thinking about that. In my own life, there are times where I've concealed areas of sin in my life. And there's even been moments where I've sprayed Roundup on those areas of sin, and I've not pulled it up by the root and thrown it out and destroyed it. And I know that creates a little bit of tension when we think about the life of Achan, because Joshua and the Israelites were commanded to not just recognize it, not just uncover it, but to destroy it. And what that meant in this situation is that the life of Achan and everybody connected to him was lost. They were stoned and they were burned. That makes me uncomfortable. 
And I, I, listen, I, I dug into this story, and I, I've, scholars debate this. Scholars debate what really happened to Achan. Is Achan eternally rescued with God, or is he in eternal separation from God? And there are scholars that land on both sides of that fence. I started thinking about that for ourselves, in our lives. What are the areas, what are the hang-ups, the things contributing to defeat and failure in our lives that are allowing the enemies in our lives to destroy us? Maybe it's a relationship that was supposed to end, and you're like, man, I, I know this isn't God's best for me. I know he's not what's best for me. I know she's not what's best for me but he's cute, and I can't make him cute. I can help make him godly, but I can't make him cute, so I don't know that I want to break this relationship up. What step is he calling you to take? Maybe it's not something he's calling you to stop doing. Maybe it's something he's pushing you to do, to extend forgiveness in a relationship that's been busted up and dysfunctional. Maybe it's to have a conversation with somebody about who Jesus is to you. Oftentimes, we recognize the sin but fear keeps us from taking a step to eliminate that sin in our life. And we see in the story that it's destructive. And I want to close with this because this story leaves me in a place that I feel uncomfortable. It feels kind of dark. Achan and his family and everything he owns is burned. It's interesting, if you jump over to the New Testament in Luke chapter 19, there's a familiar story. You Maybe even when you were a kid, you sang a song about it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Well, the story comes from Luke chapter 19, and it says that Jesus entered Jericho. Jesus goes to Jericho. Jesus never went anywhere by accident. He goes to Jericho to meet a man named Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And tax collectors in this day were seen as the worst of the worst. They were the filth of the culture because they were obsessed with greed. They were obsessed with gathering riches and belonging and material things for themselves at the expense of everybody around them. So nobody liked Zacchaeus. He was a greedy man living in Jericho, a place where the sin of Achan, the sin of greed, the sin of accumulating what he thought he needed for security and stability and honor for himself destroyed his life. Jesus steps into that very same city to meet a man named Zacchaeus and he says, hey, I want to I go to your house. I want to hang out with you. So Zacchaeus welcomes him into his house. And at some point in the conversation with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus makes a confession. And it says, he says to the Lord, behold, Lord. Zacchaeus calls Jesus Lord. In other words, he's giving Jesus authority in his life. A life that he's owned for himself. He's been calling the shots. He's been the boss of his life. And in this moment, he says, Jesus, I want you to call the shots. Jesus, I want you to be the authority. And I don't know that he understood all that that meant, but then you see this radical transformation take place in a moment. A man of greed becomes a man of generosity, and it says, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, don't miss this, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I don't know that Zacchaeus understood everything that Jesus said in that moment. But I have to imagine that Zacchaeus kept his eyes on Jesus. And he was watching Jesus. As Jesus transforms his life, he continued to live and he went to the cross and he gave his life. You see, Jesus died 
not because of his sin. He died because of Zacchaeus' sin. He died because of my sin. He died because of your sin. Fortunately, because of what Jesus did, we don't have to live in the fear of what happened to Achan and his sin. It was Achan's death, Achan's loss of life, that led to the restoration of the people of Israel. But it was Jesus' death, a death that he didn't earn and he didn't deserve, that leads to the restoration in my life, that leads to the restoration in your life, so that sin doesn't have to be the king anymore. So sin doesn't have to continue to defeat and lead us to a place of failure. But we have victory over it. We have victory over that sin because of Jesus. So where does this land for you? What's your response to this? Have you ever trusted Jesus? Maybe you've lost sight of Jesus in the last season, the last weeks, the last months. But today is an opportunity to respond and say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I'm going to let you call the shots. I want you to be the boss, the authority, because I know that you're with me. And as long as you're with me, nothing in this world, no enemy against me will have victory over me. I cannot live in defeat anymore because I trust you. Would you trust him? This is how I want us to respond to what we've heard today. I want us to just reflect, maybe sing, just listen to the words of this song. As we look to God, as we look to him as our safeguard, as our protector, as the one who allows us to live in victory no matter what comes against us. So let's just sit, let's reflect, let's sing this last song. God, we love you, we trust you. Continue to just speak into our minds as we listen to the lyrics and process the lyrics of this next song. In Jesus' name, amen.